0: Good morning, church. I just said that to make sure my mic was on. How are you all doing this morning? Good? Good? It's good to see you. It's good to, to be with you. Oh, I've got two Bibles up here. I'm a little confused. Um, two is better than none. That is true. I'm going to use one for a, a, an illustration a little bit later. So i got to make sure I get the right Bible. We are going to continue exactly ...where Pastor Tim left off last week. So, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them or click on to Acts chapter 2. And we're going to continue to look at what it means to be a witness for Jesus Christ on mission. And our mission, in case you're still wondering is we're to make disciples, right? We are to proclaim the kingdom gospel. We are to proclaim the authority and the sovereignty and the rule of Jesus Christ now and forever. And we do this by being disciples of Jesus. We do this by following Jesus' teaching and by following his life and the example that he left for us. That's what it means to be a disciple. A disciple is someone who loves Jesus and lives like Jesus and helps others do the same we broke that down to like three sentences that sounds pretty easy to do but if you have ever tried to be a faithful follower a faithful disciple of Jesus you realize it ain't that easy right there is sin and there's difficulty and it actually becomes really really difficult however as promised by Jesus he sent the Holy Spirit And now as His witnesses, we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to continue His mission. And the initial filling of the Holy Spirit, we call that the day of Pentecost. We read about that in Acts chapter 2. And if we read through it and think about it, this is actually a pretty funny scene. As the disciples are out proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, they start speaking in different languages and people started to hear it in their own language. And people started questioning, like, how am I hearing this in my language? I know he doesn't, I know that Jewish boy over there doesn't speak my language. How am I hearing it in mine? And how is this person hearing it in his? And as people, when we don't understand things, we try to come up with a simple solution so we can understand it. And I actually love this part in the Bible. This is pretty funny because the response from the people that didn't understand was, oh, they're drunk. Oh, those people are drunk. I am not a scientist. I actually had to, to look this up. But there's a term that comes when our body can't break down alcohol as fast as we're drinking it. It's called being drunk. <laughs> right? And we, we, uh, uh, A term I've heard is something called, hey, you're tipsy. Because we have loss of coordination. We begin to, uh, to be dizzy, tipsy. You fall back and forth. We have blurred vision. We have slurred speech, but apparently in the first century, if you got drunk, you learned how to speak a new language just like that, right? So they're like, oh, that's easy. These guys are drunk. That's why they are speaking in another language. That doesn't even make sense, but we still try to justify it. But as we go through, Peter and the apostles, they keep proclaiming the gospel. They keep telling the gospel, and in verse 37 of Acts chapter 2, we read this, And now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And he's talking about the people who are hearing the gospel spoken. And they said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And it goes on in verse 41, it says, So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. 3,000 souls. Praise God. Talk about being on mission. Right? We have churches, and we, we look at our baptisms over a year, and we're like, oh, we got 50, or we got 100. We're like, praise God. This guy preached the gospel, and there were three thousand souls that came to know Jesus that is being used by God and just in that passage alone one of the things we see is that the gospel the gospel message leads to community right away we had this community of believers but let's not stop there let's learn some about something about this community and let's pick up in verse 42 and it says and and when it says and we're referring to the passage before it don't get confused by the, the little subsections that the publisher of your Bible did. So 3,000 souls were saved and, referring to those 3,000 souls, verse 42 says, And they, were de- they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship of the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed believed, were together and had all things in common and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as many had need and day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved This is so beautiful as I am reading this and I'm seeing this community of believers. I'm seeing these Christians come together. And as I was studying this passage the last several weeks, my heart yearned for this. My heart yearned for that, not only for here, for Calvary Church of West Hills, but for churches in the state and churches throughout the country and churches throughout the world. That we would come together, that we would span across every political boundary, that we would span across every ethnic boundary, that the church of Jesus Christ would look like the church that is being described here. That it would look like this community of believers and would be used by God in this powerful way. That God would use his bride to reach the closest communities and the furthest tribe for his glory. And that he would use us, the church. You know, when I, we talk about this and we look at this church over the last several years, like last 2,000 years, we've been looking at the church of the first century and saying, how do we replicate the success of the first century church? How do we have that impact that God used them for? How do we become more relevant? How do we become more useful? How do we have a greater impact on our culture today? But if we take a step back and we look at the church, we will see that the church is full of fractions. We'll see that the church is divided. We'll see that the church is being pulled apart. And I'm not even talking about theological differences. I'm talking about preferences that are splitting the church. And just because you prayed and you swear to God that the carpet should be purple does not mean that's a theological debate. Does that, not, that doesn't mean that as someone we should split and form a new church over. When we stop and look at the church, we can clearly see that the culture is shaping and defining the church, not the other way around. What has happened to the church? Right? We know that the, the gospel has not changed. God is still holy. We are still not. God still loves us. Jesus still saves How is any of that less relevant today than it was 2,000 years ago? That is so relevant today. When we look around and we see the the people going through depression, when we see the hurt, when we see the fractions in people's lives, we have a relevant message. If there is a God in heaven who loves you and sent his son to save you, there is nothing we could do to make that message better. Just two weeks ago, I was sent a text. And it said, Pastor, what are you going to do to make your church relevant? Nobody asked that question unless they have an idea. Right? There's already something going in this guy's head. And if you've been in a church for a while, you know that churches of 150 have about 200 opinions. Right? We already know that. And everybody knows that their opinion is the right one. I want you to think about that for a minute. 150 people, 200 opinions. There's no way to win this argument. You are not going to win this. But I'm going to be honest, that's a great question. That is a great question. And as a pastor, that puts a lot of pressure on the pastor. I'm not sure how you define relevant. I'm not sure what that means. So at first I thought, hey, we have to define what relevant means before I can answer this question. But the more that I thought about it, I don't. I don't have to answer that question. The only thing I want for this church is for us to be used by God for his mission. That's the only thing that is important to me. So before we ask all the questions, how are we going to be relevant to children? How are we going to be relevant to young adults? How are we going to be relevant to women? How are we going to be relevant to men and widows? And how are we going to be relevant to those far from God? How are we going to become everything to everybody? Before we can answer any of those questions, there's one question that we have to answer. How can we as a church be used by God? That is the only thing that we need to answer. If we can answer that, everything else will work itself out. Before we get distracted by anything, we have to prioritize being used by God. Being used as He desires, when He desires, how He desires. That is all more important than anything else. So how do we as a church position ourselves to be used by God? And as I was studying this past passage, Scripture makes it pretty clear. As we read just through these five verses, we have the key on how a gospel-centered community can be used by God. Just like in the first century, what we can learn is that the church in the first century, they were united in Jesus. As we read through this passage, we'll see that in this passage, the first century church was unified under Jesus. Their unity in Jesus was greater than any other distraction out there. Their unity in Jesus is greater than any topic, any politics, any disease, any jobs, any persecution. Anything out there could not separate their unity in Christ. Christ was their number one thing, and God used that to be a witness to the world. God used the unity of all these different people to be a witness to the world and to make his name known even though these were fishermen and revolutionaries and roman guards and jailers and tax collectors and jews and gentiles and prostitutes and young men and old women and fashion designers they were all these opposite ends of any spectrum you could think of and jesus brought them together and unified them under his name and they as a group as a community were a witness to the world for the power of jesus christ God unified them, and he used that community to reach the world for him. In this passage, we're going to see four ways of this community of believers, that these disciples of Jesus are unified and used by God. So stay with me. I'm going to go through these rather quick. But when we look at these, we see that a community of witnesses that are on mission, they are united for Jesus in truth. The first sign of a healthy gospel-centered community of witnesses is that they are devoted to the teachings of the apostles. And so you say, well, what is the teachings of the apostles? Here's what the apostles taught because, well, they wrote most of the New Testament, but they didn't have that at the time. So what did they ta- teach? They taught on the teachings and the lifestyle of Jesus. Guess what we have in the New Testament? The teachings and lifestyle of Jesus. and, And the Old Testament, what does the Old Testament do? The Old Testament points us to the teachings and the lifestyle of Jesus. So we have the Scriptures. And there's so much confusion today about the essential matters of faith. Church, this is simple. It's in Scripture. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Period. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. A community that seeks truth in Jesus. Not in magazines, not from some inspirational speaker, not from a talk show host, but they seek truth from Jesus. That is what we are to unify as a church. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. As a witness for Jesus Christ, we should Not just carry our Bibles. I know some people say, oh, if you're a a follower of Jesus, you should carry your Bibles. No, we should carry them and we should read them. And you know what else we should do? We should study them. Right? This is the, the Word of God. We should take these things and we should study them. I want to encourage you to just take your Bible and just mark it up. I was showing somebody the other day and you probably can't see this. But if you turn this page in Ephesians, you'll see that this is kind of blank. If you turn the page over here, you'll see there's highlights and underlines and there's markings all over Scripture. Somebody said, oh, is that like that because you preached in it? I said, no, that's not my preaching Bible. That's my my pew Bible when I'm sitting out there. Uh, Pastor Tim and Pastor... dr chris morgan they taught on ephesians 3 and so you see that's where all my notes are from sitting there and studying with these men as they teach us the word of god studying on my own i was taking notes in a sermon i go back and i study what these people had to say oh my gosh we have scriptures we should just be feasting on that word every day there is nothing that's going to fill your heart there's nothing that's going to give you hope or joy or peace more than the word of god and we should be in the scriptures every day As a church, as Calvary Church, and I'm going to say this with certainty in case anybody's ever wondering out there, here's what we believe. We believe that all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We didn't make that up, right? That's in Scripture. That's what the Bible tells us, and that is what we as a church believe. And therefore, all of our teaching, if you go to any event that is hosted by or associated with Calvary Church West Hills, we are teaching from Scripture. Whether it is here in corporate worship, whether it's in children's school, they have Bibles and kids' Bibles, and we open them up and we study them, or whether it's in a Sunday school class, or in a community group, all of it is based on the inerrant Word of God. All of it is based on Scripture. And that is where we start, and that is where we begin, and that is where we end, is with the inerrant Word of God. And I love, I love being a part of this church where I can sit out there and I can have Pastor Tim come up here and preach. And I don't have to guess like, oh, please be in the Bible. Please, whatever you're teaching, be scripturally sound. I don't have to worry about that. I know that he is teaching straight from Scriptures. I also know that, that I don't have to sit in our kids' classrooms and wonder what they're being taught. They're being taught the Word of God, and we have gifted teachers that are teaching them. But we have so many other teachers throughout the week that are teaching in community groups. They're teaching in children's throughout the week. They're teaching senior classes next door. They're teaching women's small groups here on Sunday morning and throughout the week, and we have men's groups that are teaching and community groups, and they are all opening up scriptures and they're seeking truth. And as a church, we are unified to the truth that comes from scripture. We are unified to the truth of the inerrant word of God. And as a community, when we seek truth together through the word of God, we strengthen our community. We strengthen our brothers and sisters, and we are a support to them. And as a community seeking truth, we are better able to disciple each other. We are better able to help each other. We are better able to correct each other. I want you to listen to how Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he describes the importance of a gospel community knowing the word of God together. In his book, Life Together, Dietrich writes this. When one person is struck by the word, he speaks it to others. God has willed that we should seek and find his living word in the witness of a brother. In the mouth of a man, therefore the Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him. He needs him again and again and again. And when he becomes uncertain and discouraged, for by himself he cannot help himself without belaying the truth. He needs his brother man as a bearer and proclaimer of the divine word of salvation. He needs his brother solely because of Jesus Christ. The Christ in his own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of his brother. His own heart is uncertain. His brother's is sure. Right? And what we're talking about is it's so easy to rationalize. It's so easy to bend things. But when we are stuck with struggling, we have a brother or sister in Christ that we can turn to. And if we know we're going to get the truth of Scripture, our life is already better. Our community is already stronger. Church family, you need to know this, that you, you may be the one in need right now. You may be the one that needs to hear God's word, or you may be the brother or sister that needs to provide God's word. Somebody else is waiting for you to share. Somebody in our community is waiting for you to share the word of God with them. Wherever you find yourself, whatever the case may be, I want to encourage you to continue to seek and speak the truth. Continue to seek truth and speak truth to our brothers and sisters. We can't live by bread alone. We need every word that comes from the mouth of God. And sometimes we need our brothers and sisters to feed us. Sometimes we are down and out. Sometimes we are struggling. Sometimes we're just unsure. And we need a brother or sister that has feasted on the word of God to come and share with us. To come and help us. To come and build us up. To come encourage us. And that is how a gospel-centered community stays strong and healthy. Being united in the truth. It protects us. And it helps keep the main thing, the main thing. right? Seeking the truth of Scripture together does not just allow us to be distracted by the things of this world. We don't care about those. they're not as important, but as a community united for Jesus in truth, we don't have to live in fear. We don't have to lose hope every time something comes up and freaks us out. We can just rest in the truth of God. We don't stay prisoners to our guilt. And when we feel that way, when we are fearful, when we feel like we have lost hope, when we feel like we are prisoners to our past, it is our community of brothers and sisters that are united with us in the truth of the word that come alongside us and help us and support us and strengthen us. The truth is, and we find this in Ephesians, there is one body and one spirit. There is one Lord and one faith, one baptism and one God and Father of us all. This is an essential belief found in Jesus. In Jesus, we have unity. In Jesus, we find truth and unity. So when we look at this witness of uh, witnesses that are on mission for Jesus, that's one thing we learn is that a community of witness on mission for Jesus is united for Jesus. We are united for Jesus. He is the sole person at the top of the list. A second thing is that a community of witnesses on mission for Jesus is united with Jesus in fellowship. Many things out there, many communities, many groups, many sports teams, many clubs, all claim to have fellowship. But Christian fellowship is something more. It is not just coffee and donuts before the service. And we've heard that oh, I have fellowship with somebody. No, you said hi as you were getting coffee or get out of the way or get me an acorn. That is not fellowship. As Christians, we tend to lean towards that and say, oh, I fellowship with so-and-so. You saw him once a week. That doesn't count. It's not fellowship if it takes place in the church building or during a community group in your house. That is not true fellowship. Our fellowship should be more than that. Our fellowship with each other is based on our relationship with God. And how we treat one another is a reflection of our own relationship with God. It's a witness to the relationship with our Creator and our Redeemer. If you go through Scripture, there's around 50 one another commands in Scripture. And when I say one another, it talks about their commands on how we are to treat one another. There's some, Romans 12, is love one another, outdo one another in showing honor. But I don't have time to go through all 50 of them. I wanted to show you something in a few of them. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Ephesians. I want to show you something in Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4.32 says this. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. As God in Christ forgave you. If we go to Ephesians, it's the next book over, maybe a page or two in your Bible. It's right there, Ephesians chapter 2. Scripture says this Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Do nothing, so I'm going to go back to verse 3. Verse 3 says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So we are to have the mind of Jesus Christ in ourselves, to be humble, to, to not be selfish. Right, go again, flip over a couple more books. Actually, several more books. We're going to go to 1 Peter. It's towards the back. If we go to 1 Peter 4. It says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love conquers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another, listen to this, as good stewards of God's varied grace. So we are to serve one another we are to be humble we are to love one another as stewards of god's grace that he has given us oh wait we're not done keep going we're going to turn over a couple more books we're going to go to first john there's 50 of these hold on just kidding we're only going to do a few of them all right first john uh, chapter four i'm going to pick a couple verses here we're going to start in verse seven it says beloved let us love one another for love is from god and whoever loves has been born of god and knows god and if we go down to verse 12, it says no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Listen to this. This will hurt you. By this way, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us. And immediately when I start reading that, I start thinking of a lot of people. I'm not sure I can use the word love for. And God, or in John, well, does God abide in you? <laughs> right? like, when we have God abide in us, we are to love people. That's how we know that he is in us. That's how we know that his spirit is perfected in us. So when you go through the church, and all of you could do this, all, and it doesn't matter if your church is three people or 3,000 people, I'm willing to bet you're not going to love everybody in that church. I'm willing to bet there's a a pause when you say, "Eh." we've said like, I don't know if I like, but I love. No, that's not true. That only works for kids, right? Kids, I can say, I don't like you right now, but I love you. But we're talking about our church. We're talking about in Christ. We say, I love you in Christ. Really? You love them enough to die for them. That's what it means when we talk about loving in Christ. Here's the truth about Christian fellowship. We only have Christian fellowship when we make it a practice to reach out to others and give something of ourselves. We don't just give mere tokens of our time or our money or our attention, but we give of ourselves. Who else did that? Jesus, right? We are to imitate Jesus. We imitate Christ who lives in us and through us. That is fellowship. When we give of ourselves to others, that is fellowship. That changes things a little bit, right? When we start thinking about what is Fellowship, it's not defined by what we would do. It's not defined by who we like. It's not defined by what we feel like doing at that moment. It's not defined by if I have time. It's not even defined by the other person. It is defined by what Christ did for us. It is defined by our relationship with them. It doesn't matter if they're a cat person You should still have fellowship with them. I had to consult scripture on that. That used to be a deal breaker for me. But then I looked and said, oh, Jesus was nice to everybody. I got to go pet the cat. Right? Fellowship, it's not about us. It's not about them. It's about us in our relationship with Jesus. It's about what Jesus did for us. Our fellowship is defined by Christ and who he is. We are united with our brothers and sisters in this building. We're united with our brothers and sisters that are watching us on the screen. We are united with our brothers and sisters all across the world because of Christ who lives in us. Our fellowship with him is greater than anything that divides our culture nowadays. Our fellowship with Jesus is greater than any political party, it's greater than any ethnic background, it's greater than any social network, it's greater than any sports fan base or any branch of the military. Right? I don't hold it against Eric that he was in the army. He can't help it. I don't make fun, like sorry man, Marines are full. I know it doesn't matter. We still fellowship. We still go out, we still hang out, right? Because we got Jesus in common. We can go and talk about what Jesus is doing in our lives. We can go and talk about what Jesus is doing in our community. We can sit down and hold each other accountable to what we should be doing in our relationship with Christ. Everything else, or nothing else I should say matters, except for our fellowship with Jesus. That is what unites us. And I am so grateful to be a part of a church that Jesus is our unifying factor. Right, we, we don't, I don't, when I say we, I don't spend a ton of time talking about stupid things. I don't spend a ton of time saying, oh, we've got to do this for this and this. No, we talk about Jesus. We talk about leaders. Like, what can we do for Jesus? How do we reach our community for Jesus? Oh, how do we be used for Jesus? Well, let's get unified under Jesus. Hey, let's pray. Hey, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. All my conversations do with Jesus. It's pretty awesome. I was talking with another pastor, and he was just saying, like, I don't know if I can do this. Says, What's wrong? He's like, nobody at my church cares about Jesus. Well, that's too bad. I know a church where we love Jesus, right? This is what we are to do. We, we, we love our unity with Jesus. Our relationship with Jesus is all that matters. So when we look at this community of witnesses that are on mission with Jesus, that are doing his mission, we can see that uh, witnesses on mission for Jesus, they're united for Jesus. They're united with Jesus. We also see, thirdly, that they are united by Jesus in worship and when we look at this passage it talks about them breaking bread it says after their principal meal they would take the remaining bread and wine and they would start elevating remembrances of christ's death they would start talking about they would break the the bread this weekly meal became a time of worship became a time of remembering god's promise and this local body of believers they would gather as a family They would gather and they would break the bread and they would drink it and they would talk about their Savior. Nothing unites a community more than remembering their risen Savior. More than remembering Christ and that our debt is now paid and now we're just waiting for His glory. How would you like to end your meal with your brothers and sisters saying, I am forgiven and His glory is coming. Isn't that a time of celebration and a time of worship? And we celebrate the Lord's Supper as a church That is an act of worship. When we break the bread and drink the juice. And it is this essential step of the Lord's Supper that makes a church a community. It binds us, not just together as a local church, but it binds us with other Christians all over the world. Other churches all over the world. Look how Paul describes the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. And Paul uses the one bread as shorthand for the church's corporate, the body, their altogether celebration of the Lord's Supper. And Paul's point is that, is that in the Lord's Supper... Because we all share in fellowship with Christ together, our unity in Christ, our unity in Christ creates a unified fellowship, creates a unified body, creates one body. Paul's central claim in verse 17 is that we who are many are one body. Paul roots the church's unity in the worship during the Lord's Supper. When they would take the Lord's Supper, they would worship. There's one body, that's the church, because there's one bread. That is our Savior, the one Savior, the one Christ, the one Jesus. And when we do, when we participate in the Lord's Supper, when we worship together, the Lord's Supper is a renewing of the oath. It's a sign of the new covenant that Jesus spoke about. And by partaking of these elements, the bread that symbolizes his body, that was beaten, right, that paid the price for all of us. Not just for me not just for the Pope, not just for some uh, special person, but his body was beat for the church, the united church as we fall under it. And his blood that was spilled out was spilled out for all of us. And his blood that was spilled out unified us as a body. And we as Christians, we're followers of Jesus, and we are united as one, as one through his blood. And today, when we drink these elements, we're going to renew our commitment not only to Christ, but to each other. That we renew ourselves to our brothers and sisters, those that are sitting to the left and right of us, and those that are watching us on TV. We are one body, we are one family. And this is a twofold commitment that this church makes as a community of mission with Jesus, that we are united for one another. So I want you to go ahead and take these cute cups. If you're sitting here with us, if you're at home, I hope you have your elements. I'm going to look out. We have elements in the back. If you need one, just raise your hand. Somebody will get them to you. I was supposed to do that at the beginning. I totally forgot. Um, But I want you to go ahead and take the top piece off if you're able. I am not. I messed it up. But we are... Hey, can we edit this out of the live video? <laughs> ah, got it, okay. <laughs> got it, yeah, thank you guys. You guys are awesome. You guys are coming to help me get the bread out. That's unity, <laughs> right there. So I want you guys to take this bread and remember that this body... Was, uh, hey, in case you guys didn't hit it at home to somebody else having trouble opening it too, I'm not the only one. Uh, but we're going to take this bread and remember... Because there is one bread. We who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. So at this time, I'm going to ask you to take this and make a commitment not only to your relationship with Christ, but to your relationship with unity with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Take the bread. In church, as we drink this juice, this is just so much more than just some religious ceremony, just some simple thing that we do as Christians. This is so much more. This cup represents the blood of Jesus. This cup represents the blood of Jesus that was shed for us and unites us as brothers and sisters in Christ. So at this time, as you drink this juice, not only commit yourself or recommit yourself to Jesus, but commit yourself to the church and the unity of the church. When you go through the scriptures, when you look at Jesus' prayers when you look at what Jesus did on the cross it should break your heart when you see the church splitting and disunity over things that just don't matter as we drink that juice and we remember the blood that was spilled for the unity of God's church it should be on your mind next time you think of hurting or saying or dissing or causing disunity in the church, that Christ died for this church and unified this church with His blood. And finally, as a community of witness on mission for Jesus, this community is unified in Jesus with prayer. As we go through Scripture, we see that the the apostles and the new believers and the 3,000 that came to know Jesus, we see that they prayed all the time. Right? They prayed in quiet word and in joyful song. We see that they prayed together. They prayed individually. They prayed in the temple. They prayed at home. They prayed walking along the road. They prayed when they encountered the sick. They have prayed before sermons and during sermons and after sermons. Sometimes we see, like I think it was Peter when he was preaching, a guy was, they say sleeping. I think he was praying and he fell out of the, of the window. Right? But we see uh, they, they played, prayed during planned times of intercessions for the brothers and sisters they set aside times said we're going to pray for this brother that's being persecuted we're going to pray for this family that is being sick we see that they prayed spontaneously like hey we should be praying right now let's pray or we just had a need known or there was something and so they just decided to pray right then they made prayed on a daily basis making regular requests to the father for daily needs they prayed for food and they prayed for jesus they prayed in jesus And I love what Pastor Tim Keller wrote in his book about praying in Jesus' name. Tim Keller, he wrote this. To pray in Jesus' name means to come to God in prayer consciously, trusting in Christ for our salvation and acceptance and not relying on our own credibility or record. It is essentially to reground our relationship with God in the saving work of Jesus over And over again. When we pray to a holy God, and we know that the holy God hears every word that we say, we are reminded of the gospel and of his love for us. Now, he becomes much more, or we, we become much more aware of our dependence on him, of our need for him. And when we are dependent on Him for the success of His mission, when we stop being dependent on ourselves, on our own talents, and our own abilities, we stop trying to raise enough funds, but we are 100% dependent on Him, we will be His witnesses. When we say, God, I need you to do it. God, here I am, do whatever you want with my life. And we are praying to God, we're making that known to Him. Here's what we do know. We know, and this Scripture tells us this, we know that this is what God will do. He will do far more abundantly than all that we could ask or think according to the power at work within us. To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. When we count on God for His mission, things will change. When we are dependent on God's mission as a church, when we are focused on church, when we elevate who Jesus is, when we are focused on Jesus, things change. On Good Friday, Pastor Tim led us through a prayer of confession as a church. Man, that was a powerful time to gather as a church family and sit in our living rooms or sit with our friends and our family and know that as a church, we were all praying confessing our sins individually and confessing our sins as a church that we were repenting before a holy God. Today, we're going to do this again. We're going to pray as a church family, but we're going to pray for something else. We're going to pray that God would use us for His mission, that God would use this church for His mission, that we would humble ourselves before God, And that we would come before Him and depend on Him to be witnesses to His mission. There will be uh, the prayer up on the screen, and I am just going to read this, and I would just ask, I don't care if you do it out loud, I don't care if you do it in your hearts, but I would just pray as a church that we do this together. Lord of this church, help us to be united both as a local church and as the one church of your kingdom with our brothers and sisters all across this world. Help us see beyond the disunity of cultures and preferences and doctrines made up by man that often marks our church life. Help us discern all the ways that your Spirit is building us up together as one people, as your people, for your glory. Amen. Church, you should notice this as we've walked through these four things. There is something that is common Man, we are united by Jesus. Jesus is the one thing that we can gather around, the one person that we lift up, the one person that we submit to, the one person that has all authority in our life. And the church that is united by by Jesus, that is devoted to truth and fellowship and worship and prayer, will be used by God, and the world will know the name of Jesus. As we talked about at the beginning, the gospel message leads to community. And it's our witness that comes from our community. If you have never, ever placed your faith in Jesus and joined his community, or if you're not sure if you're have, you like, I don't know, maybe maybe I did, maybe I think I did, or I think I've been following Jesus for a long time, why don't we just make that clear today? Why don't we just find that point on the calendar and say, you know, this is the day that Jesus said I needed to express my, uh, my faith in Him. Right? And you just need to just pray a, a simple prayer. And we get so nervous when we think about this prayer. Here's the deal. It's not that big of a deal. It doesn't save you. Right? Jesus saves, and Jesus is the only one that saves. There's not a magic prayer. There's not a, uh, some thing you have to say or dance or do some weird thing. No, we just have to follow Jesus. And so when we pray, we can just say a simple prayer. Just say something like, Lord, I I love you and I need you. I ask for your forgiveness of my sins, and Lord, I just ask that you would breathe life into my lungs. Lord, that you just give me a new heart. Amen. There's just something like that, just a submission to Jesus as our Lord and Savior, right? Here, I'm gonna let you in on a little secret. Right? If you think you need to say that prayer, it's like, oh, he's already got your heart. Like, he doesn't have to wait on you, He's not waiting on it. He's like, oh, say the prayer. I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. Our God is bigger than that. Maybe you've never made a public profession of faith. Maybe you've never said, hey, I want to join this local body of believers. I want to join this community. And when we're at a church, we do this by baptism. Right? If you come to a church and you made a public profession of faith, you, you get in baptism. And what you're doing is you're just telling the world, I'm on Team Jesus. I want to walk with Jesus. I want to be a part of Jesus. I want to be with you guys in community as we continue Jesus' mission to the world. I want to partner with you guys uh, on Team Jesus. I want to celebrate that community and be in community with you all. If you have never been baptized and you are a part of Team Jesus, man, I would love to walk through that with you. I'd love to walk through that, uh, that, that process with you. Man, if you're a follower of Jesus and you're not connected with a local community of believers, if you're not united with your brothers and sisters in Christ on that mission in your community and in your world, I want you to join one. I want you to go find a church and join it. And if you're online and you're like, well, I, I live in New Mexico, this isn't the local community for you. Right? We're glad that you're here worshiping with us. We love you. But I want to encourage you to go find a church in your neighborhood that you can go and have meals with and break bread with and have community with and love them. You can join us on Sunday if you want, but I need you to be in community with your brothers and sisters in Christ in your community. If you say, I don't, I don't know of any church in my area. I don't know. Call the church. I think my email is going to be on the screen. There it is right there. Email me. We would be happy to help you find a church in your community. If you're local to West Hills, and this is your community. They, look at that. My email's still up there. Email me. We'd love to do community with you. We'd love for you to be a part of this community. But church, is this community is bringing together these brothers and sisters that are unified in Jesus, that is used by Jesus for his glory. Church, let me just leave you with this today before I leave. Paul wrote this to the church in Colossians. He said, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Church, here's the simple truth. A church united by Jesus will be used by Jesus. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you just for this morning that we could have, that we could gather as a community, that we could gather as brothers and sisters who love you above all else. Lord, we would just pray this week as we go out into the week that your uh, uh, sovereignty, your glory, your holiness would just reign supreme in our hearts, that everything else would be pushed aside and that we would see brothers and sisters in Christ in a whole different way that we would see fellowship with them in a whole different way, that we would seek truth in a whole different way. And, Lord, that we would just be filled with worship throughout the week as we remember your sacrifice, as we remember your death, and as we remember your victory over death for everybody. Lord, we would just pray that as we remember your blood that united us as brothers and sisters, that as we go throughout the week, we would make that be important that we would guard our hearts from any division that may encroach on them, that you would help put a hedge of protection around us as we walk in unity, that we would be a witness to this world, that people in Los Angeles would see this church and be like, oh my gosh, how do those people come together and love each other and love us so well, and all we could do is just point to the glory of God and to the holiness of God. Lord, we pray that we would be a witness here in West Hills and in Los Angeles and in California, we would be a witness to the glorious name of Jesus. Lord, we love you and we thank you. And it's in your son's name of Jesus that as brothers and sisters in Christ, we ask all of these things. Amen. Church, it was great to worship with you online. It was great to worship with you and people. And I will see, or in person, I will see you next week. Have a great week. Love you, church. Bye.